This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am her husband and co-host, Austin. There he is, guys. Um, A few of you really enjoyed his comedic relief uh, last week's episode. I don't even remember what I said. Um, You said that you would shit all over that police department publicly if they... Like, didn't believe your story. Because it was the story about the couple who wasn't believed by the police. And so, yeah. Some people, like, there was a comment on the post about that. And then someone else said they liked your humor. Well, good. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Yeah. So, I'm interested to see how you react to today's story. I don't know anything about anything. It's a humdinger. A humdinger. All right. Kelly, whatever. But before we get started, I want to acknowledge a message that we received on our Mama Mystery Instagram page. So Caroline Martinez and her boyfriend, Chris Dadovich, are true crime fanatics from Minneapolis. But on April 18th, Chris passed away from COVID-19. And in her message, Caroline wrote, quote, Chris Dadovich was a mechanic by trade, but a detective at heart. He loved true crime. He and I would spend so much time watching ID, Oxygen, HLN, 48 Hours, Forensic Files, Snapped, You name it, we saw it. He especially loved the true crime history of Minnesota because he was a Minneapolis man. He taught me so much about true crime here. Most of it I hadn't known about, and I've lived here almost my whole life. The loss of Chris has been devastating because he was my best friend, my my secret keeper, my partner in crime. He was my favorite person in the whole world, and there will truly never be anyone as amazing as Chris. The comfort and peace he brought me in my life could never be replaced, and the world was down one amazing man the day that Chris left it. So... Man, that's super sad. I know. So I just want to thank you for listening and reaching out, and you will definitely be in our thoughts and prayers going forward. For sure. And hopefully, I mean, this may sound like cheesy or weird, but hopefully you can listen to Mama Mystery, and it gives you, like... Comfort, if you will. Right. Comfort knowing that like it was something that you two both really enjoyed. Yeah, that might have sounded stupid. No, I don't think so. You're you're a very sweet guy, Austin, whenever you like really tap into that. I know sometimes <laughs> it's hard to articulate it, but I know what I know where you're coming from. Well thank you. You're a big sweetheart. Really appreciate that, Kelly. <laughs> you're welcome. So anyway, with that, we would like to dedicate today's episode to Chris and Caroline. So today we're talking about Stacy Castor. Okay. And Stacy was born on July 24th of 1967 in Clay, New York, to her parents, Jerry Daniels and Judy Eaton. As a child, she was very curious, always asking questions. She was very stubborn and headstrong, and by her own account, she wasn't afraid of anything. Growing up, she was interested in law, and she was studying to become a paralegal when she met Michael Wallace in 1985. 
He swept her off her feet. They fell for each other pretty quickly. Stacy was this tall, vibrant redhead, and Michael was always known to everyone as like the life of the party. They both loved to party, sometimes a little too much, and Stacy said that Michael struggled a little bit with alcohol and drugs. But in 1990, they got married at Stacy's mom's house in their living room. It was like a very intimate, small ceremony. Stacy and Michael had two daughters together, Ashley and Bree. Ashley was super close with her mom. Like the day Ashley was born, Stacy said her whole life just changed and they were each other's world. She took Ashley everywhere. They were super, super tight. So then when Bree came along, she instantly bonded to her dad. So growing up, there was definitely an imbalance in their bonds with each daughter being closer to one parent than the other, right? And sometimes Ashley felt a little bit of resentment seeing her dad be so close to her sister and not showing much interest in her, but she loved him regardless, and she had tons of great memories with her dad. So for some time, they were a pretty happy family of four, but as time went on, the spark in Michael and Stacy's relationship kind of began to fizzle out since Stacy worked days as an ambulance dispatcher and Michael worked nights as a mechanic, which that actually seems backwards to me. When I was reading about it, I was like, nights as a mechanic? That's, That's kind of strange. You would think like he worked days as a mechanic and she worked nights as an ambulance dispatcher. But either way, they were like two ships passing in the night. It's the tale as old as time. Like these two aren't spending a whole lot of time together. They're getting into this rut and this routine of their work schedules. And meanwhile, it was known that Michael did have some affairs before the marriage. And then we don't have proof, but it was likely that during the marriage, he continued to have affairs with various women. So Stacy was making plans to get a divorce, but she wanted to wait until after the holidays. But then in December of 1999, Michael got really sick. He began looking swollen and puffy. He was coughing a lot. He had trouble with his balance. He was often staggering. So it almost came off as if he was drunk a lot of the time. So his family urged him to go to the doctor, but before he ever did, he ended up dying in early of 2000. Their daughter, Ashley, was at home with him when he died, and she was only 11 years old. She said, quote, he was laying on the couch making what I thought were funny faces, and all of a sudden, he just sticks his arm up in the air and puts his arm on his side, and then his arm just fell down. Then Ashley left to go pick up her little sister from school, and when she came back, he was dead on the couch. So for... Go ahead. I say, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty upsetting. I mean, you're only 11. Yeah. For a long time, Ashley blamed herself, thinking maybe there was more she could have done or should have done, but she was so young, only 11 years old. She had no idea what was really going on or what she could have done differently. Right. The doctors determined that Michael died from a heart attack, and Stacy believed them. So when his family asked for an autopsy to be done, she felt like she had no reason to question the doctor's analysis and declined an autopsy. Stacy ended up collecting about $50,000 in life insurance. So with that, she paid for the funeral, and she took her girls to Disney World. So I was a little surprised that 50000 is not a whole lot in life insurance. So, yeah, anyway... I, I don't know why I just said that. It doesn't really mean anything. It's <laughs> <laughs> a random fact just of the a day. random, random opinion that nobody asked for. <laughs> it's like assholes. 
So anyway, for years, Stacy worked as a single mom, raising her two daughters on her own, and then she meets David Castor. So David Castor was a outdoorsman who had a very strong work ethic. He owned his own business. It was a heating and cooling company. And he was married once before, and together they had a son, and now this son was grown. Um, when David and Stacy met, David made her feel like a princess. He really doted over Stacy, but he didn't really care for her daughters, Ashley and Bree. He felt like he'd already raised his son and really wasn't interested in raising any more kids, especially ones that weren't his. So this created some tension in the family. And when I say that, I don't really mean tension between David and Stacy. I mean more tension between the daughters and David, because Stacy commented that it didn't really like create an issue between them. And I thought that was really weird because you would think as a mama bear. Yes, obviously, mm-hmm. you and I are together, and I brought two kids into this relationship like that were born before you and I got together, right? So they're your stepkids. If you had an issue with Jack and Kennedy when you and I met, it would make an issue for me and you. I'd be like, this isn't going to work out. Yeah, it's weird to think <laughs> pretty that you, simple. It's weird to think that she said it didn't matter. Yeah, it is weird. It it weird it weirded me out too because I was just like, man, how could you just disregard the relationship that this man is going to ultimately have with your kids? Yeah. But you know, a lot of women are like that. A lot of women will choose men over their kids. I don't understand it, but it does happen. Hmm. So, Friday, August nineteenth of two thousand five, David wanted to go on vacation to celebrate their anniversary. So David wanted it just to be the two of them, but he had planned this elaborate vacation that would last for like two weeks. And with Bree being only 14 at the time, Stacy didn't want to leave her at home alone for that long, but David wasn't having it. He wanted the vacation to just be for the two of them without Bree tagging along. So this created a huge argument between David and Stacy, and they fought about it for hours which ultimately resulted in David taking a big bottle of Southern Comfort into the bedroom and locking the door, locking Stacy out. So that weekend, time goes by. I think she had left the house and took her kids with her. Monday, August 22nd, Stacy calls 911 saying that she's concerned because she hadn't shown up for work he hadn't shown up for work and she hadn't heard from him and they worked together. She was the office manager at the heating and cooling shop that he owned. So she tells the operator that the last time she heard from him was when he locked her out of the bedroom. And she admits that they were arguing the Friday before and that he was telling her to get out, just take the kids and get out, but also that she would be sorry if she ever left him. So when the police arrive, they kick in the door to the master bedroom and they find Stacy's husband, David, dead on their bed. He's lying face down across the bed, and he is completely naked. He's not laying on any bed sheets, like there's no sheets on the mattress, nothing. And he's laying kind of sideways on it, like not how you would normally lay in bed. He's mm-hmm. laying like horizontally. Outside, Stacy is asking the police if he's in there, if he's okay. They tell her, no, he's not okay. And she just starts getting hysterical and distraught. In the bedroom, investigators find on the nightstand two short drinking glasses. One appeared to be about half full with some green liquid, kind of like the appearance of like a green Gatorade. Or antifreeze. Mm-hmm. Did I just guess it? Yeah, you did, babe. You're getting so good at this. Holy shit. Look at you. I am so proud of you. I'm just like 
forming you into this little true true crime. Listen to me. We're sitting here recording a true crime podcast while Chris watched true crime documentaries on the TV and mute. Yeah, for only like the hundredth time I've seen this documentary a million times. This is my life. This is your life now. Do you love it? Yeah, I enjoy it. Go ahead. Okay. So the other glass was kind of full with some juice. And there was also a bottle of liquor. Um, it was some apricot type of liquor. And then a bottle of juice, like cranberry juice, on the nightstand as well. And then peeking out from under the side of the bed was the blue bottle of antifreeze. So investigators also go into the kitchen. And when they observed the trash can in the kitchen, they find a turkey baster laying right on top of the trash. So one of the investigators takes the rubber top off of it and smells it and notes that he can smell some alcohol in it. So after talking to Stacy, they ultimately come to the initial conclusion that he appeared to have committed suicide by drinking the antifreeze. And it's a horrible way to die, but apparently some people have chosen antifreeze to get the job done in the past. So it's not completely unheard of. And Stacy told investigators that he'd been really upset about the recent passing of his father and that he did seem very depressed lately. So she had a feeling he was going to do something to himself. But there was one cop, Detective Dominic Spinelli, who had a gut feeling that something just was not right. For one thing, committing suicide by drinking antifreeze is just such a horrible way to go. It's very, very painful. I can't imagine anyone that would want to put themselves through that. I don't even like what I, I don't have any idea what happens. I just know it'd probably be bad. Yes. If you die, it's bad. Well, yeah, it's bad. But it's not even just like a quick and painless death. The antifreeze goes into your system and crystallizes in your organs, causing multiple organ shutdown and... Horrible pain. Horrible pain, vomiting. I mean, it's terrible. It's just terrible. Um, But not only that, David had a shotgun under the bed. So why wouldn't he have just used that? Also, the fact that he was naked was extremely odd because it's just super rare for someone to commit suicide naked. It's kind of like the case with Rebecca Zahau. Cra- if what what episode's that? If you have not listened to the episode about about Rebecca Zahau, go back and listen to it because it is nuts. Yeah, her family actually lives in our home, our town, our hometown, I guess you could say. And um, that case is just insane. She ended up... Episode 47. Go back and listen to it. Let's keep going. Okay, yeah. Anyway, it's rare to commit suicide naked. So Detective Spinelli sends in physical evidence from the scene to be tested for fingerprints or DNA. The first thing that they got back from the lab were fingerprints found on the glass with antifreeze. Stacy Castor's fingerprints were found on the glass in such a way that it appeared she was holding it from the bottom with her thumb and first two fingers. But my first thought about this is that, and maybe this is out there, but I am the primary dishwasher in our house. And when I unload the dishwasher, you know, the glasses are obviously upside down and I pick them up to put them in the cabinet, mm-hmm. which is right above the dishwasher. So that's the only place my fingerprints would be. Right. They would be upside down on the glass like that. But... He believed that maybe it could also mean that she was holding a glass up to his mouth. They also noted things about the scene that appeared to be a little bit feminine. Apparently, poisoning is a feminine way to commit suicide. Women are more typical to um, overdose or poison themselves to commit suicide, while men are more likely to just shoot themselves. 
And the drinks found on the nightstand were more girly drinks, according to investigators. And I don't know how much stock I really put into those findings, but it was apparently worth noting to them. It was something that stuck out. Mm -hmm. The turkey baster came back, and although it had David's DNA on the tip of the turkey baster and traces of antifreeze inside the turkey baster, there were no fingerprints on it whatsoever. Then David's ex-wife, Janice, called Detective Spinelli and told him that he could not have committed suicide. It was just so unlike him. He never would have done that to himself. She couldn't believe it. She refused to believe it. So, like, all these red flags are starting to pop up. And detectives are really starting to get suspicious over the situation. And they come upon the details of David's will. His family was shocked when they found that he chose to leave everything to Stacy and her daughters and absolutely nothing to his son. And they didn't have a bad relationship. This was shocking to his son. When he realized that there was nothing left of him, he was like, well, shit, he must have been really mad at me. I had no idea. Like, how upsetting is that? Sucks, and it's, like, so obvious, too. Right. I mean... Yeah, and it wasn't even, I mean, yes, he had a lot of property and, you know, toys as far as, like, ATVs and, you know, um, snowmobiles, things like that, but the cash was only, like, 50000 bucks, and I guess she, like, immediately started just doing repairs on her house, but, I mean, yeah, it's really alarming that this will would be changed to leave her, his own son out of it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So investigators start digging into Stacy's past, and they find out about her first husband dying of a supposed heart attack at 38 years old. And oddly enough, they find that he is buried right next to her other husband, David, now. So they go to the DA. They present their findings in the case of David Castor. They believe, or they're starting to believe, that David was murdered, and they have reason to believe that maybe Michael Wallace could have met the same fate. So they get approval to exhume Michael's body and test it. Now, can you imagine? They wouldn't have been able to do any of this if he was cremated. And if Stacy really did play a part in her first husband's death, she's probably kicking herself now for not making the decision to cremate him. Mm-hmm. That was just something I thought to add. Like, how to get away with murder. Cremate. Cremate. So- You're so scary. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Keep reading your story. You are a freak. <laughs> so, so Michael Wallace is exhumed, and he undergoes another o- or an autopsy. He Just under- for the record, I don't ever want to be cremated. So if I am, something happened. This is on the record. No, there's no well about it. I'm telling you, I don't want to be. I can just delete that part out. So anyway. <laughs> Michael Wallace is exhumed. He undergoes an autopsy. And within just a few days, the medical examiner calls the detectives on the case and lets them know that Michael's body is loaded with crystals, a dead giveaway that he was poisoned by antifreeze. So now we have two dead husbands, both killed by antifreeze. And detectives go to Stacey Castor and begin questioning her about the death of her second husband. They get her into a room, and one of the first questions that Detective Spinelli asks is, you mentioned giving your husband some cranberry juice, right? Do you remember which glass you poured the cranberry juice in? And she says, well, when I poured the antifree, I I mean, wait, I mean the cranberry juice. No way. (laughs) She freaking said that? Yes. Oh, what a bonehead. (laughs) Whoopsies. (laughs) Haha, so, <laughs> just kidding, Detective Clark. Uh, what I was saying was, <laughs> jeez and rice, lady. Uh, 
Get your shit together, Stacy. You should have got your shit together before you got in there. Not you can't now. So how'd the interview go? I want to hear. Well, right after I want to hear what happens next. Right after. Tell me. <laughs> go ahead. Right after that, she immediately stopped the interview and said, "You know what? I'm done. I don't like the way this is going. I'm getting." Yeah, I bet you don't. You just you just committed yourself. I don't. You know what? Now that I think about it, I don't like the way this is going. This We're is either going to restart or go. I'm leaving. Okay, can we pause for just a quick second to talk about Kennedy coming up the stairs to tattle on her brother? <laughs> oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You have to tell it. So I get on the kids all the time for for having the leaving lights on, like what dad doesn't. And so it ticks me off. So Kennedy walks up the stairs one day, and she looks at me, and she goes, she puts her hand up to her chin like she just discovered something, and she goes, hearie, hearie. I think Jack left his light on in his bedroom. <laughs> I'm like, what the eerie eerie? So I said, okay, and did you shut it off before you came up here since you saw it was on? And she looked at me and she goes, puts her one finger up in the air and goes, I did not think you were going to say that. <laughs> and went back downstairs. It was so funny. Just an Probably more funny of, for us. but uh, I hope it's funny to you moms that listen because you just know how funny kids are. But, yeah, it was something that she definitely expected to go a little bit differently, <laughs> as I'm sure Stacey Caster's here Heary, I did not pour the antifree, I mean, oh, apparently. So, anyway, she immediately shuts the interview down. And as Detective Spinelli is closing his binder to shut down the interview, Stacy notices a picture of the turkey baster lying on top of the papers. And she asks, what's that about? And he says, don't worry about it. The interview's over. Like, she's the one that wanted to shut it down. So, it's over. What's that about? <laughs> Wait, what's that about? Why do you have that turkey baster? A picture of a tur- turkey baster. Like, you gotta think. She's probably just, like, sweating bullets. Well, yeah. She, uh, she ought to be walking out of this place with a one-way ticket to Mexico is where she ought to be going. Mm-hmm. I bet she goes on home. <laughs> so Stacy gets a lawyer. And in the meantime, the detectives have tapped her cell phone, or her phone calls so that they can hear all of her conversations. And they also set up cameras at the grave sites of both husbands just to see if she ever goes to visit them because that might indicate that, you know, maybe she did care about them, but she never showed up. She never visited their grave sites. No surprise. Her daughter, Ashley, just started college, and on her first day of classes, investigators come find her at the school to question her about her dad's death, the first husband. She immediately calls her mom. She's hysterical, upset, confused as to why they're even investigating that when she believed all along that he had died of a heart attack. So while they're on the phone, Stacy says, you know what, Ashley, it's been such a shitty week. Why don't you just come over and we'll just drink? We'll just get drunk together. So Ashley goes to her mom's house, excited in a way, because she thinks, wow, like what kind of parent actually invites their own kid over to drink? And this will be like a unique type of bonding experience, right? She gets to her mom's house. Stacy pours her a drink. They start drinking together, and eventually they pass out. Ashley wakes up the next day, a little hungover, but she goes to school. And when she comes home, her mom says, you know what, like they're looking into me for this for this murder, obviously she's, you know, maintaining her innocence, but she's like, I might not be, I might not get to be here for your 21st birthday. So let's get drunk tonight. So they start drinking again, but this time Ashley gets super sick. She ends up passing out and becomes completely unresponsive. And Bree, her sister is actually the one that finds her. 
So Stacy calls 911 and tells the dispatcher that she had drank a whole bottle of vodka and some prescription meds. And while on the phone with 911, Ashley's sister Bree hands Stacy a typed out letter and it appears to be written from Ashley and it says something along the lines of you know, mommy, I'm sorry I had to do this, but now everyone can know the truth and they won't blame you. They'll blame me. It was a suicide note confessing to the murders of both Michael and David. What? I just got the goosebumps all over my body. Are you for real? At the hospital, Ashley is actively dying and doctors are doing absolutely... Did she drink antifreeze? No. She, she like drank too much vodka and took prescription pills. Oh, so she's trying to overdose. Well, that's what it looks like. So at the hospital, they're trying to bring her back, and they're doing everything they can to save her. It took hours for her to finally come out of whatever. Holy shit. (laughs) Keep going, Kelly. (laughs) Stop interrupting me, Austin. This is crazy. So finally she wakes up. The doctors are asking her how many pills she had taken. Why did she try to kill herself? Why did she write the note? One of the detectives on the case asked her questions about the note, and she's just so confused. She tells them, I literally laid down to take a nap, and now I'm waking up in a hospital room. I have no idea what happened. I did not try to kill myself. So she had no idea about the note. All she knew was that her mom wanted to drink with her, so they had some drinks, and that's the last thing she really really remembers. She did say that her mom gave her her drink that tasted really bad, So her mom gave her a straw and told her to stick the straw towards the back of her mouth and just suck on it so you wouldn't have to taste the alcohol. What? Yeah. This lady's a nut job. Detective Spinelli gets a hold of the suicide note, and as he reads it, one word sticks out. Antifree. He remembered the time he interviewed Stacy, and she referred to antifreeze as antifree. Earlier when you said antifree, I was like, why are you calling it that? Mm-hmm. That's what she called it. And four times in that note, antifreeze was mistyped as antifree. Stacy, Ashley's own mother, was the one who wrote this note to make it look like Ashley committed the crimes that she herself had done. And if Ashley would have died then Stacy would have gotten away with all three murders scot-free because there's this note that is allegedly from Ashley admitting to the crimes. But Ashley Potentially lived. could have. Holy shit. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, how are you going to dispute that? So at the hospital, Stacy is allowed to see her daughter briefly, but they will not let her see her alone because they, they know she's probably going to try to get in there and manipulate Ashley. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, she was arrested right there on hospital property. So during the trial, the defense tried to poke holes in Ashley's story in an attempt to prove that she was capable of her dad's death when she was just 11 years old. And they really honed in on the relationship she had with her dad, or lack thereof, that he favored her sister Bree, and that she'd always felt resentment for that. Then when her stepfather came along and didn't get along with the girls, they believed that Ashley's motive was just to get him out of the picture so she could have her mom all to herself. And on the stand, Stacy maintained her innocence by claiming that Ashley was mentally ill, even though she never tried to get her help. Judy Eaton, Stacy's own mom, also believed that it was her granddaughter that did this. She didn't and still doesn't believe that Stacy was capable of this. 
But on February 5th, 2009, the jury found Stacy guilty of second-degree murder in the death of David Castor. She was also found guilty of attempted second-degree murder for overdosing her daughter. But she was never charged for the death of Michael Wallace, so her defense team fought her conviction and tried to appeal it because they used evidence regarding his death, even though she was never charged for his, for his death. So Stacy was sentenced to the maximum punishment, 25 years for the murder of David Castor, 25 years for the attempted murder of her own daughter, and for forging David's will and leaving his own son out of it. He, sent, he sentenced her to an additional four years for that. Wait, why isn't she getting life sentences? Well, her, her earliest possible release date was June 15th of 2055. And if she had made it that long, she'd be about 88 years old. But she was found dead in her cell on July, I'm sorry, on June 11th of 2016. And it's believed that she died of a heart attack and that no foul play occurred. She was only 48 years old. Man. You know, I just can't imagine, like, the betrayal that Ashley must have felt from her mom, her own mom, not only trying to frame these two heinous murders on her daughter, because these men suffered. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was suffer. So how old is that girl now? Probably 25, 30. Um, She was born in 1988, so she'd be 33. And the last update she did was with Oprah Magazine, and she was engaged, getting ready to be married, and she attributed a lot of her success to the doctors and counselors, therapists that she worked with after the fact, because, I mean, she obviously easily could have turned to, you know, substance abuse to cope with such a traumatic event in her life, but but she didn't, so that's the last update I was able to find on her, but hopefully she's still doing well, and same for her sister, Brie. That's insane. Isn't that wild? Holy crap. So anyway, that's our story for today. You wrote a wild one today, girl. (laughs) Thanks. Dang. And we'll see you next Monday with another crazy story. Share, share the heck out of this, please. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Mystery. Out. Bye.